Our Second Amendment in and of itself is sanctuary. It's really making me uncomfortable for law enforcement. I saw improvements in the criminal justice system, and I saw them ignored. Subcommittees are moving through new proposals about guns, SNAP food benefits, and a constitutional amendment about victims' rights. Not all of them advance, but most do. One even makes it through committee passage on the same day. All those in favor say aye. Aye. From Iowa Public Radio News, this is the weekly legislative podcast, Under the Golden Dome. I just want to talk about SNAP in Iowa right now. The program's working exactly as it should. SNAP, or as it used to be called, food stamps, already require income eligibility, but a bill would verify a recipient's assets more often. We have an obligation to continue to make sure that our safety net is available to those that truly need it, but not available to those that that aren't. But there are hurdles to overcome. There are, though, a number of provisions that are not allowed by federal law. There is a constitutional amendment that would favor the rights of victims, but opponents say this kind of process best belongs in Iowa code. The Iowa Constitution is simply not the place for prescriptive uh, policy. And a proposal would limit some federal regulation aimed at gun control measures in Iowa. I want to provide a clear indication to the federal government that their overreach in Iowa will not be tolerated. We're creating some space in here that's really making me uncomfortable for law enforcement. I'm John Pimple. This is Under the Golden Dome for the week ending January 21st, 2022. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This year, all subcommittees and committee meetings continue to be video streamed. The House is using a system called WebEx, and the Senate uses Zoom. None of the subcommittee meetings are available as archives, and to see or hear them, you have to do so when they're happening. Hey, Representative Mike Bergen, I'm uh, chair of the subcommittee for House Study Bill 502. A House Human Resources subcommittee has a bill requiring verification of income to qualify for Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. Last year, we saw a bill pass the Senate, and that had a number of provisions in it that have this year been kind of broken up into a few different bills. Luke Elzinga from the Des Moines Area Religious Council talks about a bill from the last session that passed in the Senate but did not come before the House. That bill covered eligibility requirements for many public assistance programs. The bill before this House subcommittee now only focuses on SNAP. I just want to talk about SNAP in Iowa right now. Um, I've heard some language shared in the past week that makes it seem like this program has just ballooned out of control. Um But I want to let everyone know that the current level of people getting SNAP in the state of Iowa is the lowest it's been in 13 years. Um, The program's working exactly as it should. Elzinga says the proposal for a third-party asset verification system uses what is called real-time verification, which means it can automatically check a person's income often. How I interpret this is that the goal here is to have a real-time system that will constantly be updating Um, and flagging things in the system. Now, the reason we're concerned about how this might, you know, work when paired with an asset test for SNAP is an example maybe that that a a family has $1,000 in savings, they have two workers, their direct deposits both hit on the exact same day, and they're suddenly above that threshold for an asset test. Is this system going to flag them 
Mary Nell Treves is from the Iowa Adverse Childhood Experiences, or Iowa ACEs. It's a group with the goal of helping children heal from traumatic events. Treves also has concerns about this kind of income or asset verification for a family. If someone's out of work because they're sick, and so a SNAP applicant um, picks up more shift. Their income temporarily spikes to reflect that shift that they picked up. Without more information, this system could ping that flag them, and the family could potentially lose their benefits. Drew Klein from Americans for Prosperity supports the real-time asset verification concept. We have an obligation to continue to to make sure that our safety net is being uh, made available to those that truly need it, but not available to those that, that aren't. And, and a perfect example of this, and we've seen this in states that have gone down this road, uh, the day that somebody starts receiving benefits in another state because they've left Iowa, uh, we shouldn't be paying for uh, a secondary set of benefits uh, out of our uh, out of our safety net as well. And so real time, I think, does make a whole lot of sense. Kelly Garcia is the head of the Department of Human Services. It oversees the SNAP program in Iowa. Garcia says as this and other bills are considered, legislators need to bear in mind her department is already implementing a significant change of technology. And so we need to be mindful um, that certainly if the legislature chooses to direct us to do something different, to think about the timeline for implementation and how that coincides with the work that the department is already well underway. Um, Otherwise, it will have a cost, right? It'll put something out of order of what we're already progressing. Um, But we, as I mentioned, are very committed to the goal, I think, of what um, this bill is, is aimed for. And there are, though, a number of provisions that we would need to talk with you about for an amendment things that are not allowed by federal law, we would want to make sure that those clarifying changes move forward. Personal sentiment is then, like, move forward. Republican Representative Mike Bergen, who chairs this subcommittee, says he has enough concerns with this bill as written to hold off on advancing it at this time. Uh, with, with that, I'm inclined for a, an indefinite postponement, and I'm thinking just a couple days. I'd like to resolve it this week so we move along. We've got a sh- shortened time frame, um, but it'll give an opportunity for the department to... Uh, Respond with some of the specifics. A bill can come before a subcommittee again with a proposed amendment. Refined language may also come to this or to another committee that could include revisions as to how SNAP, Medicaid, and other public assistance programs are administered. We're here to consider House Study Bill 525, a joint resolution proposing an amendment to the Constitution of the state of Iowa relating to the rights of a crime victim. In a House Judiciary Subcommittee, there is a resolution about crime victims. One aspect would be to increase how victims are notified of legal proceedings, parole, and other actions for the person convicted of committing the crime. Any Iowan can become a victim of crime, and the moment that happens, they are thrown into a system that takes little account of how they are impacted, and when handled poorly, our system can cause its own kind of trauma. Tony Phillips is with Marcy's Law for Iowa. Marcy's Law originated in California in 2008 and is named after a woman who was stalked and murdered. What happens when a victim doesn't even realize that a defendant has been released back into their community? This is how a victim of crime can be re-victimized by our system. Yes, we have statutory language in Chapter 915, that's intended to avoid these mistakes, but far too many Iowans can tell you their first-hand accounts of how the law is not being followed. 
Phillips says current laws in Iowa Code Chapter 915, which is about victims' rights, are good, but a constitutional amendment is required when officials don't fulfill their obligation. We oppose House Study Bill 525, even though obviously we agree with the motivations and the intentions. Pete McRoberts is with the American Civil Liberties Union of Iowa. McRoberts says the Constitution is not the place for this kind of change. So our recommendation, very respectfully, is tighten up Chapter 915. Preserve the flexibility to identify new offenses as they arise. Or to remove offenses as they arise. Keep it, keep it in code where it belongs. The Iowa Constitution is simply not the place for prescriptive uh, policy decisions like this. I'm Laura Hesburgh with the Iowa Coalition Against Domestic Violence. We unconditionally support crime victims and we oppose this bill. Laura Hesburgh says the proposal won't enhance or improve rights for victims. We share the desire of everyone in this room to elevate and enhance their voices and rights. There are many ways to do that, and we simply don't believe amending the constitutional is the appropriate way to do that. I saw improvements in the criminal justice system, um, and I saw them ignored. Democratic Representative Marty Anderson was the founding director in 1989 for the Crime Victim Assistance Division of the Iowa Attorney General's Office. She helped write part of Iowa's Chapter 915, but she says it's not enough. So this constitutional would write would take the basic rights of victims to notification, to be present, and to be heard, and it specifically says heard in any proceeding involving sentencing, parole, or any right of the victim. It's already law for a victim to have an opportunity to present an impact statement at the sentencing hearing. But Representative Anderson says making it part of the Constitution will allow more victims to know about this. 36 other states have adopted these rights. And I believe that we need to pass this bill this year. You know, this one is tough for me because while I've always been very sympathetic to the concern of those who believe it should be in the Constitution, I've also been very concerned about the the, the things we heard about today, about due process and, and better suited in Iowa code. Republican Representative and Chair of this subcommittee and Chair of the House Judiciary Committee, Stephen Holt, says this isn't a partisan issue. There are those in my party who support it. There are those who oppose it. And same thing is true uh, in Representative Anderson's party. So this is not one of those traditional, you know, things that pit Democrats against Republicans or anything like this. This is people that are genuinely concerned on both sides of this issue that have very genuine concerns, I think. And that's why I think this is this is very difficult. But this is also the reason that I made the decision this year uh, to hold a subcommittee on this and to have wider discussions uh, with the committee uh, on on this issue. This resolution does not pass out of the subcommittee. I will tell you there will be additional discussions beyond this subcommittee today. And uh, with that, uh, thank you all for coming, and this subcommittee is adjourned. So far, we've heard two bills that do not advance from a subcommittee, but the majority of bills that come to this level do. You're listening to the weekly legislative podcast, Under the Golden Dome from Iowa Public Radio. I'm John Pimble. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
One year ago at this time, a COVID-19 vaccination was not easy to get for most Iowans, but by late spring, the availability greatly increased. And by the end of last year, children aged 5 through 11 were eligible for this vaccination. This is a school immunization requirements um, study bill. In a Senate Education Subcommittee, Republican Senator Tim Kreienbrick chairs a bill that would change Iowa's code about immunization requirements for children in public schools or at a child care center. The bill also provides that medical and religious exemptions for vaccinations apply and, and still apply during times of emergency or epidemic. The Iowa Code being modified is 139A.8. It requires children to be immunized from diphtheria, whooping cough, lockjaw, polio, measles, and chickenpox. COVID is not on this list. The law provides an exemption if the parent provides a document stating vaccination would be injurious to the child or a member of the child's family. They can also have an exemption if they say it conflicts with the tenets and practices of a recognized religious denomination. These exemptions, however, do not apply in times of emergency or epidemic as determined by the State Board of Health or the Director of Public Health. This bill would change the code so these exemptions remain in effect during an emergency or epidemic. The addition or removal of an immunization is determined by the State Board of Health. This bill proposes to reinforce this by making any local legislation that would require or remove a vaccination invalid. In other words, a school board or a city council can't add or remove a vaccination like COVID, only the State Board of Health. To be clear, this bill does not mention COVID at any point. Um, this strengthens the language. Um, I, I don't think it changes a lot. It just strengthens, you know, the language that um, that uh, drives it back toward public health, and also puts in um, the code that uh, religious and uh, medical exemptions will will be recognized no matter what happens. Senator Kreienbrick and Republican Senator Craig Johnson signed the bill to advance it to the full Education Committee. Democratic Senator Claire Selsey does not. We're going to go ahead and call the meeting of the Education Committee to order. Three hours later, the Education Committee meets. Senate Study Bill 3004 is next. Senator Kreienbrink, you are in. Do you have a subcommittee report? Thank you, Madam Chair. Yes, I do. I've got a subcommittee report. Senator Kreienbrink proposes an amendment. The amendment simply strikes in the bill uh, lines 6 through 9. Um, those lines are redundant. Um, also in there, it the amendment mostly removes redundant or technically incorrect information like the enactment date. The amendment proposes if this eventually comes to the governor's desk for her to sign, it will become law that day. All those in favor of the amendment to Senate Study Bill 3004 say aye. Aye. Opposed say no. The amendment is added. Is there discussion on the bill as amended? Seeing none, Senator, you're in order for closing comments on Senate Study Bill 3004 as amended. I simply ask for the passage of Senate Study Bill 3004 as amended. Uh, the Senator has moved Senate Study Bill 3004 as amended. Short form has been requested. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed say no. The bill passes and will be added to the calendar's committee bill. Having passed from the committee, the Senate Study Bill becomes a Senate File Bill. It is now Senate File 2079.
First of all, our Second Amendment in and of itself is sanctuary. Republican Senator Zach Nunn is the sponsor of a bill that would exempt Iowa from potential federal laws and executive orders restricting firearms. So in drafting this bill, I took no pleasure in identifying that there could become a time where we could have a federal regulatory authority that would force upon the states something that is protected to us already by the Constitution. Senator Nunn says he believes something like a federal decision from the Department of Justice could conflict with Second Amendment rights in Iowa. I think that one of the key aspects we want to provide is a clear indication to the federal government that their overreach in Iowa will not be tolerated. We want to protect our law enforcement officers on the front line who are serving the community, but not deputize them as agents of a department or agency to go in and infringe upon an Iowan's Second uh, Amendment constitutional rights and wait for a Supreme Court to make that decision. Richard Rogers from the Iowa Firearms Coalition says the bill needs work, but ultimately it will likely serve as what he calls a placeholder for gun rights. But we do think that it's a, a, a very important issue that, that the state uh, make these statements, somewhat symbolic, but also uh, something to fall back on if they're pressed. No, no, no congressional act, no presidential order, no uh, administrative rule of a bureaucracy is law if it goes against the Constitution. The language in this bill is very broad. It would fine a law enforcement agency $50,000 per violation if a federal order or a law is carried out that violates provisions of this bill. Cindy Gangstead, representing Every Town for Gun Safety, voices opposition to the bill. Our biggest issue with this bill is as it relates to the provisions that penalize law enforcement, local law enforcement, um, from working with federal, uh, their federal counterparts. We believe this would have a chilling effect, and that is a grave concern to us. Tracy Kennedy is with Moms Demand Action, a nationwide organization advocating for stricter gun control laws. The vague language would inhibit the enforcement of all gun laws by creating uncertainty. Um, this would likely prevent even the most basic law enforcement cooperation between state and federal entities, potentially preventing Iowa law enforcement from participating in things like a federal state joint task force, and interfering with a broad range of criminal investigations. Democratic Senator Tony Bisignano questions how the bill would be enforceable. I don't understand how this will work. Is you know when we talk about the federal rights, when we talk about uh, the state law enforcement in infringing or um, co-conspiring with the federal government. I don't. I mean, we're creating some. Space in here, it's really making me uncomfortable for law enforcement. Senator Bisignano says if there are concerns about how to enforce federal laws or rules by the state, training instead of punishment is a better solution. I don't think this stick over everyone's head of beating them, uh, jailing them, and fining them is the direction, um, at least that the Democrats do not wish to go. Uh, we would rather educate and get along. And, and so that reason, I wouldn't sign this report. Uh, for uh, for this bill, but if it does make it along to the floor, uh, I'll have many, many more comments. Republican Senator Tom Shipley is one of the three senators on the subcommittee panel and says he's willing to advance this bill. Uh, I'd be willing to sign off on this uh, to move it forward for more discussion. Uh, I, I understand people's concerns, but uh, I think it merits more conversation on the way we do that moving forward.
Senator Shipley and Republican Senator Jeff Reichman both signed this bill, and it now can advance to the full Senate Judiciary Committee. It was advanced with the recommendation that there be an amendment. I'm John Pimple. This is the weekly legislative podcast under the Golden Dome. We're mostly following subcommittees for the next few weeks. There is a bit more urgency to push bills through the subcommittees because this session is scheduled to be 10 days shorter than 2021's. The script editor for this episode is Iowa Public Radio News Director Michael Leland. Story help and additional audio comes from Iowa Public Radio Statehouse reporter Katerina Sestarik. Also some help from IPR reporter Grant Gerlach. Digital team support for this podcast comes from Caitlin Troutman. If you haven't subscribed to the show, you'll likely miss an episode as we go through the rest of this legislative session. So do that now with iTunes, Google Stitcher, or whatever you like to listen to with your podcasts. Under the Golden Dome is a production of Iowa Public Radio.